You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Terry Riley, which is from our sermon series, The Beatitudes, Jesus's Talk on the Hill. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. Well, well, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Let's keep that vibe going, right? We got it all going. I'll hold on for a second, let everything clear the airwaves, and uh, we'll get going. It's good to see you all. Masks and all. How many many are looking forward to that time when we probably won't have to wear them? Anybody here? Yeah? Okay. Good. I I just want to say, I've never seen a better looking group of people in masks in my life. So... Oh, that was a lie. Sorry. Um, That wasn't a lie. It was truth. Uh, but I had to get into my talk today. So listen, uh, we're, we're looking, if you're newer here, we're looking at the best known sermon in history. Uh, it was a message that Jesus gave that really sets forth the ethics and the values of the people who would be his followers and disciples. So it's really important stuff. You cannot read the Gospels. You cannot read Jesus's teachings and escape the moral implications of what the Gospel brings to and challenges our lives with. So if you would turn to chapter 5, we're going to pick it up in verse 33. Chapter 5, verse 33 of the Gospel of Matthew. On any given day, studies have shown that you may be lied to from 5 to 200 times. Now that probably includes things like... Uh, you, you read the paper and you see something that isn't necessarily true. It might be a commercial that you go, there's no way. That's not true. That can't do that. Um, it could be other things where you talk to somebody or they give you information that just isn't true. Five to 200 times. Uh, you know, a lot of those are what people would call white lies. In another study, it showed that strangers lied three times within the first 10 minutes of meeting each other. Did anybody meet anybody today? <laughs> Hopefully you didn't talk very long. But uh, Charles Hans, who's a, a professor of psychology at Boise State University and polygraph expert, he believes that humans lie on a daily basis, 25 in 25% of their social interactions. And again, mostly it's those what people would call white lies to avoid hurting someone's feeling, uh, where we just want to get on with our day so we'll say something, or we make a, in, in our story, we'll add something to be just a little bit more interesting. Some of the common white lies that people will use, uh, I found, man, just so many of them, I just picked a few of them. Here's a few. My phone died. I'm almost there. (laughs) What they're saying, I just left one minute ago. Now, I've got plans for that day. How about this one? We all love this one. Uh, It's not you. It's me. No. It's all you, and I don't like you, period. I mean, you're the problem in this thing, but i got to get out of this thing easily. (laughs) That looks great on you. Actually, what you're probably saying is, I'm glad you're wearing it and not me. 
oh, your baby is adorable. <laughs> it's just a little prune face like every other child, you know? Uh, but, 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 you know, we're, 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 we have social graces and etiquettes, and so we, we talk this way. Uh, Jesus continues in his Sermon on the Mount to raise the bar on what has been taught and what he wanted to communicate through the inspiration of the Spirit of God originally. And what Jesus is really doing here is he's really bringing his kingdom people, his followers back to show them the importance of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 15, we've talked about it a number of times and at Easter. It's really this, it's simply, here's the good news. You and I are sinners. We can't get around it, no matter how good you are. We're all sinners. Jesus came to die for us to remove that sin. And then he resurrected on the third day to give us new life and to infuse us with forgiveness and his life. But you see, the people here were brought up on the law. They're still under the law. And so Jesus, he's coming out of the ministry shoot, getting ready to, well, to minister to people and to teach about the kingdom of God. And he says earlier, and we talked about it, unless your righteousness, your rightness before God and your rightness before man surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, the scribes, you'll certainly not be able to enter the kingdom of God. So what Jesus has been doing after he talks to us about the Beatitudes, what he's been doing is going through and he's taken a lot of the law, the commandments that were given by Moses at Mount Sinai, and they had been, well, kind of massaged to the people's likings for a number of years, for hundreds of years. And Jesus has come and he's still dealing with these religious people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. And now he's trying to put a little correction to and give a better navigational point on how his followers are to live. So we're going to pick up today and we're going to talk about telling the truth, honesty. Because Jesus deals with that here in Matthew chapter 5, pick it up at verse what, 33. So this is Jesus' MO in this first, uh, in all of chapter 5. He says, again, you have heard it said that it was said to your ancestors. He's going back. And he's putting especially the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders on the spot. And he says, you have heard it heard. You must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to God. Now, Jesus comes and he says, let me in. Let me help you here with a, let me put a little corner on the truth for you. I tell you, this is what was originally meant. Don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it's God's throne or by the earth because it is his footstool or by Jerusalem because that is the city of the great king. Jesus says, don't swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black until our day when Clairol came about. <laughs> that isn't in there, but we can do that. But what he's saying is, let, let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. You get yourself in trouble. Father, this is your word. Pray you'd bless it. Pray you'd, pray you'd speak to us. You would challenge us. And Lord, you would help us to live as children of your kingdom. For that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
So Jesus comes and he speaks to them and he's challenging what they meant concerning their oaths and their vows. See, making vows was not wrong in and of itself as oaths were made. Vows were made throughout the scripture, through the Old Testament, before Jesus even spoke this. God made them throughout the Old Testament. You read, especially to Abraham, the father of our faith. God says, I swear to you, I, I, I swear by my name, I'm going to do this for you. My promises are going to come about. So this isn't unusual. Even in the New Testament, Hebrews 6.16 states this. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath is given as confirmation to end a dispute. Well, what he's saying is, is that, that there's a name of someone higher, that the name of someone greater than the person making the vow has invoked to give greater credibility to what is said. And then if you go to Hebrews 6, the next verse in, in, in verse 17, it says that God guaranteed his promise. He made a vow to Abraham with an oath. Jesus says in the gospel, we see it throughout, where he says, truly I say to you. It's kind of like saying, I'm being serious. This is the truth. Don't question it. You know, how we do that. So the, it's, it's not really the oaths that are wrong, because oaths were taken to uh, be a confirmation of truth. It could also end a dispute, because it invited judgment on the oath giver, or the oath maker to keep his word. You say, well, why, if God's God, why would he have to make oaths? Well, it wasn't to increase his credibility, but to build and confirm people's faith. That they would trust him. It's never about God's faithfulness, but it's always about people's unbelief. That we would believe God, that what he says is truth. Now, the, the Old Testament oaths were made by God. Excuse me, they were made in God's name. Deuteronomy 6.13 and 10.20 says this, You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship and swear by his name. So Jesus comes now in Matthew 33, and he quotes a common teaching by the Pharisees. And it says this, again, you have heard it said that it was said to our ancestors, that's Jesus speaking, and now he's quoting the Pharisees. You must not break your oath, uh, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. And now this quote doesn't appear anywhere in the commandments. It doesn't appear anywhere in the Old Testament. What the Pharisees have done is they've taken a compilation and they've kind of made a composite of these statements of several scriptures and they twisted it kind of into their own interpretation. The first part of the rabbinical saying comes from Leviticus 19.2, which warns us not to swear falsely by God's name or as to profane the name of God who says, I am the Lord. The last part of the thing that Jesus quotes them on comes from Numbers 30, verse 2, and Deuteronomy 23, 31, where it states, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it should be sin in you, or it should be sin in you, and the Lord your God will surely re require it of you. You make a vow to God, it's a serious thing. Well, as we see in what Jesus quoted, the, vow, the, the Pharisees kind of developed an, an elaborate rule system for taking vows that kind of allowed them what we would say in our day is to have an escape clause. To have some fine print writing that you really might not understand until you get into it. 
So these people learned and were taught by the religious leaders there that people could declare and promise anything with an oath while having no qualms about lying or breaking their word because they didn't do it in God's name. If you want to find out more about that, go to, uh, on, on your own study time or devotional time, go and read uh, Matthew 23, where Jesus gives additional insight to it when he's dealing with an issue of the, of the Pharisees later, and he just calls them out. And he pronounces these woes on him. And he calls, he, and, and, and he says, I'm gonna, I, I pronounce woes on you for the things that you've done, the way that you have, well, twisted the scriptures. And he uses right here as a, as a classic example, and he challenges them. Because, see, these people felt that the closer an oath gets to God, uh, the more weighty it sounds. I don't know about you, but I've always been afraid to say, I swear to God. <laughs> you know, that just sounds bad to me. And, and, and these people, though, they thought, okay, well, listen, if we want to have an exit stage right, if we want to have an out, uh, we don't swear to God because that's what the word actually said. So we're going to make a promise and still leave ourselves some wiggle room. So this is what they would do. And it says it right here. Jesus calls it out. They would swear by heaven. They would swear by earth. They would swear by Jerusalem. They would swear by the, their own hair on their heads. But, but here's what Jesus is doing. He says, I'm not going to play this game. And we see this on all of the subjects where he talks about, um, you know, lust and adultery. He says, listen, just because you don't do it doesn't mean you're exempt from it because your heart is what matters because you might actually be heavily into lust and adultery by the way you think, even though you haven't acted on it. Because ultimately, if you allow yourself to go there, it could lead to the action. So Jesus is always dealing with the heart and the veracity of what has already been declared. When I was a youth pastor, since I've been a pastor, in counseling, I have a lot of people that aren't married. You know what one of the big questions is they ask me? How far can we go? How far can we go and not sin? I said, well, you're probably already sinning by asking that question because what you're telling me is you're more concerned about what you can do than what God wants for you. See, it always starts in the heart, loved ones. And even with this, Jesus is challenging that. Jesus destroys their self-righteousness and their self-righteous thinking in just a few lines by refuting the basis of their belief. God, hear me, God does not distinguish between the sacred and the secular. It's all sacred to God. Everything we think, everything we do, everything we speak, isn't it true not much has changed as some of these practices are really still around today? And it starts so young. Think about your children. What do they do when they want to say something but not be held accountable for it? Cross your fingers. You know what? I'm going to buy you guys lunch today. Hmm. Oh, don't have to. I had my fingers crossed. Now I know it's very playful a lot of times with kids, but there's, they're already learning. In a court of law, 
Somebody places their hand on the Bible, on God's word, and declare, I swear to tell the whole truth. I I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me, God. Well, we've learned that God really isn't helping them much, is he? (laughs) This is no longer a guarantee, or it never has been, that the truth will come out. That's why we have to have laws about perjury. How about a signature on a marriage contract, a check, a contractual agreement? That's no longer a guarantee. You have some lawyers that make good money by being able to look at contracts and be able to find a small clause, a way out so somebody is not responsible for it. So so what does Jesus mean here? Well, Jesus says in Matthew 5.35, he says, but I tell you, This is the truth. This is my authority. Don't take an oath at all. Now, we have to to kind of determine the difference between public and private. Because really, the the public things, I, I don't believe in any way are wrong. Because again, we see oaths talked about and done throughout the totality of scriptures. Uh, There are Christian groups, maybe some of you are here today, I have no theological axe to grind on this, but people ask about this. Some denominations uh, of Christians have even taken this so literally that they won't take an oath. They won't take an oath to be sworn in in court. Uh, they won't sign a tax return or a mortgage papers or under, because of under penalty or perjury. They don't take vows before God at a wedding. There are groups of people that do that. No problem. But I don't believe that's what God's talking about. He's not talking about these public things. He's really talking about our private lives. What are we doing in our ongoing communication with wherever we are? Because there's O's throughout. What does it say about Jesus? It says that in John chapter 1, in uh, John chapter 1, verses 14 and 17, it says Jesus, the Word. Isn't that interesting that he's called the Word, the expression, the spoken expression, the written expression of God. That the Word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son of God who came from the Father. He's full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus said about himself, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He's the personification of everything that is truthful. And see, the Sermon on the Mount is addressed not to people of the kingdoms of this world, although it can be, but it's really addressed to people like you and me who have made a determination and a decision to say yes to following Jesus Christ. And by virtue of doing that and entering into a relationship with him, we are now part of Christ's kingdom. And, and, and what he's saying, loved ones, is our truth and the power and commitment of our words should be evident to all. 
People should know that we're committed to our marriage, our families, God's church. People should see and know that we are committed to pay our debts and to keep our word in business and to follow through on the promises that we make at work. That we should show up and give the effort that we committed to give. That when we pray, when we say we'll pray, uh, we commit to praying. We should stand out, loved ones. Christ followers should stand out in every group as faithful, dependable, and committed. No one should have to dissect what we say and what we mean. Now, I don't know about you, but as I started going through all this, man, there was, pretty, there was, there was a pretty heavy dose of conviction. Here's what I did. Once I started to understand what Jesus is saying, I just kind of started rewinding the tape of this past week, week and a half. And, and never once was there a malicious intent to, you know, conceal anything or hide anything or hurt anybody, but it's amazing when you really begin to understand your yes, your yes, your no, no, how you evaluate what you're saying and what people might hear. You know heaven's going to be run on God's word. There's two things that are eternal. There's people and God's word. Heaven's going to be run on this. And what Jesus is saying, this is what heaven's going to be like. But the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven starts here and now. Luke uh, 17, 21. Jesus is talking to these same people. And he says, here's what I want you to know. They're saying, where's the kingdom of God? When's it going to come? When's it going to show? And he says, look around. It is within. And so Jesus is trying to help us see, friends, that the kingdom of heaven starts here and now. To be truth tellers. See, there's a lot of ways that we can handle truth. We learn to handle and to, to navigate and to use truth in life in a lot of ways. We can slant it. We can slant verbiage to use it to our personal advantage. We can skew it. We can skew truth to reconfigure the language to use against somebody else. We can stretch it. We can add information for gaining advantage or popularity or prestige. We can shade truth. We can cover some. We can subtract uh, information for gain or for advantage. I think one of the biggest issues that we deal with is people can tell the facts but never the truth. Do you understand that? A lot of people can give you facts, and we see this all the time. And I... You know, I see it. And that people give you, they say facts, uh, but they don't give you context to truth that really is part of the facts that they're giving. Or we can speak it. That's what Jesus says. Your call is to speak the truth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. A life sporting author excuse me, lie-spotting author Pamela Meyer said this, lying's complex. It's woven into the fabric of our daily and business lives. We're deeply ambivalent about the truth. We parse it out on an as-needed basis. And we learn to do it very early. 
She noted two-year-olds learn to bluff. Five-year-olds learn to lie outright. They can even manipulate with flattery. Nine-year-olds become masters of the cover-up and hiding things. By the time you enter college, you're going to lie to your mom one out of every five interactions. Sorry, mom, I don't know why that came about, but that's what she says. By the time we enter the work world, we enter a world that is cluttered with spam, fake digital friends, ingenious identity thieves, world-class Ponzi schemers, a deception epidemic. In short, it is a post-truth society. Wow. Whatever happened to Abraham, honest Abe Lincoln, who said, the truth is always easy to remember. So here's what Jesus, I think, is saying to us today, friends. Be a truth seeker. Be a truth teller so that you can be a trust builder. First thing is establish a new mindset. And it takes a determined mindset to grow in this. And even then, you can't do it on your own. That's what Jesus is communicating to us, to those people then, to his kingdom followers, that there's nothing that we can do much of without the power of his life. Psalm 141 verse 3 says, Set a guard over my mouth, O God. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Here's the deal. Jesus won't do it for you, but he'll do it with you. We have a responsibility to walk in his power. Get up each day. I want to set my mind and heart to say, Lord, through the power of your spirit, guard my mouth. I'm going to be talking to 15 or 20 different people today. Help me to recognize issues before they come. Help me to recognize in my heart those things that I want to slant or skew toward my benefit, but they aren't totally Truth. Help me just speak the truth. Sidlow Baxter said this. I love this. The proof, of God, the proof that God's spirit is in your life is not that you speak in an unknown tongue, but that you control the tongue you have. That's the power of God's spirit at work in us. A great scripture to memorize is Psalm 1914. And honestly, I probably say this five or six times a week. Lord, Lord, let the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Because Jesus hits it square. When, when, when the psalmist David is saying, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, Jesus makes that clear throughout his teaching that everything is systemic to our heart. The words that we speak are what's going on in our heart. God, watch, watch the meditation of my heart. James, Jesus' half-brother, gives another verse to help train us to think, to engage our mind and before we speak, our heart, before we speak. Uh, James 1.19 says, my brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Relationships are so important in life. Jesus, God, puts a premium on community and relationships. And few things are more essential to having a healthy relationship then there being truthful communication that takes place and it's used to build a life, not besmirch it. God's word is truth. It's critical for our lives because isn't it true we can all be a little weird? 
Tell the person next to you, you're just, you're, you're not too bad, but a little weird sometimes. Go ahead and tell them. Make them feel good this morning. <laughs> well, here's the deal. I don't really think you're weird, but here's what I know. Because we're all sinners in need of God's grace, we realize we're not all that we're supposed to be. And here's the real kicker. We're not all that we want to be or always project to be. What do we do? Well, we get into depravity management and image management. If I don't see the, ch- the need for this change and growth, it probably won't happen, and I'll continue to be self-deceived. I mean, I'm, on- I do- I'm honest, yeah. See, we shouldn't have to- I shouldn't even have to qualify that, but... That's what we do because it's like, wow, I just want to make sure people believe what I'm going to say. But I was thinking about this this week and I was thinking, man, I really missed the mark in this area. And I'm not, and I'm, and I try and watch my words and how I communicate really closely. But I come up with about three or four things that I knew I just, I got to correct that. I I don't want to manage my depravity. I don't want to get into image management. I want to be, well, the real deal. And that only happens as we walk closely with the way, the truth, and the life. You gotta establish a mindset, loved ones. Secondly, you gotta you gotta have personal integrity. You gotta develop honesty, not falsehood. Ephesians 4, Paul writes this in Ephesians 4, 24 and 25. Put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Again, he's speaking to the church at Ephesus. Paul is writing to them. And he says, wow, remember, speak truth. Because we belong to one another. And that's how we maintain healthy relationships when it's based on honesty and truthfulness. It's not shades of the truth. It's not exaggerated to protect or to benefit ourselves. He says, put off all falsehood. Falsehood. If it doesn't fit, he says, it doesn't fit you anymore. Because right before these verses, he says, people of the kingdom, people who follow Jesus, they have new clothes that they're putting on. New attire that fits better, looks better on them than the things of this world. And he says, here's the clothes I want you to put on because you're a part of Jesus' kingdom. Truth-telling is what fits well on a Christ follower. What does it say about Satan? It says two things. He's the accuser of the brethren, and Jesus called him the father of lies. I don't want him to be my father. I want Jesus, who says, I am the way and the truth. Paul notes earlier in the chapter, uh, chapter 4, or chapter 3 of Ephesians, that we're members of one body, organically connected, yet in, interdependent. And the health and joy of a body, of your body, your physical body, that Paul's referring to and using it as a metaphor for the body of Christ, it depends on our body parts telling us the truth. For instance... Some of you right now are thinking, let's get done. My stomach's growling. What that's telling you is that in not too much time, you need to fill it up. 
Now, there's sometimes that that's not true and it doesn't, it isn't good for you. Danger comes. We get the adrenaline glands that begin to flow and we get this adrenaline flowing through, through us and it tells us, get ready, you're going to have to fight or you're going to have to flight. But see, wherever there's falsehood, wherever falsehood is prevalent in an interdependent system, sickness comes and it negatively affects you and the people around you. That's why truth becomes so important. The psalmist says in Psalm 51, 6, Behold, you, God, desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. This is David when he's, when he's repenting and he's confessing his sin before God because of his relationship with Bathsheba. He says, God, you, just, you desire truth in my innermost being. And unless we're honest with ourselves and with God and others, transformation and change isn't going to be able to take place. And at some point, here's, what I, here's one of the takeaways for me. i got to be honest with myself. Because if I'm not honest with myself, it's going to be really, really hard to be honest with you. I challenge you. Take this hard path because what you begin to do is you signal to everyone around you, hey, my world, our world is going to be an honest one. We're going to do everything we can to make this an honest world, honest life. My word is going to be one where truth is strengthened and falsehood is continually recognized, marginalized, and diminished. So that when you see me, when you hear me, you're going to know, hmm, truth teller, he's telling the truth. Proverbs 10, 19 says, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But the one who controls his mouth is wise. Oh, hear me, loved ones, we all fall short in this. In the truth telling and in the promises and in our commitments. And this is where we need the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a martyred pastor in Germany. Germany. He was martyred under the Hitler regime and uh, the Brown Army. He said this, the cross is God's truth about us. And therefore, it is the only power that can make us truthful. Jesus said in John 8, it is knowing his truth that can set you free. So we have to live, loved ones, in his word. We have to walk with Jesus daily. We have to live in the shadow of the cross as we follow him so that we can live in the power of his life and his truth. Stephanie Larhart said this, say what you mean and mean what you say. Jesus said this, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. God doesn't have categories, loved ones, of the sacred and secular. And that's where we get into trouble because we have uh, things that we begin to compartmentalize. But we cannot use one language in the church and another kind in the office. We can't have one kind of ethics in the church and another kind in the business world. God is everywhere and in every activity of life. He hears not only the words which are spoken in his name, but he enters into every conversation that we have, every activity that we do. And so, he, so, so the, the promises that we make, the commitments that we make, the words that we speak are sacred because they're in the presence of God. 
truth doesn't have degrees or shade. A half-truth is a whole lie, and a white lie is really a black lie. Well, what do you do when your spouse says, uh, do these jeans make me look fat? You just smile at him and give him a big kiss. You don't say anything. Now I've given away one of the things you can do. <laughs> or you tell him the truth. See, God's concern is that we become habitual truth tellers. So let's do it. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to, uh, every, every word that I speak, I want it to be unadorned and unqualified by anything. I want to be a truth speaker. That's what Jesus was. He would say this to you this morning. I am the way to the Father. I am the truth about the Father. And you can bank on that. It's the truth. Would you stand with me? Would you just bow your heads for a moment and don't, this isn't some kind of roto-rooter job, spiritual roto-rooter job that I want you to do on yourself. But I want you to think about this. What was this last week like for you? Was there a time when you said something to someone that it was just kind of innocuous and off the cuff, but then you didn't do it? Was there a time in this last week where, you know, you said something that you really skewed it, slanted it, and you knew you did? You just, because this is what we do. You know, sometimes our truth is as needed. And I'm not here trying to bust your chops or anything, but I think that we have to understand that everything spiritually, it's the little things. Uh, the Song of Solomon says it's the little foxes in the vineyard that uh, begin to cause the problems. And it's always these little things that become a slippery slope for us loved ones. So I want you just to think. Think back on your week. Say, Lord, show me. Is there any hurtful way in me in the things that I speak and the way that I speak to people truthfully? Am I truthful with myself? with what I'm going through? Am I honest with where I am with you? That's what Paul, that's what David said. Search me and know me. Father, we want to come this morning and the thing I love about you, God, is when we get into these kind of big topics, you don't beat us with it. You simply lead us and show us those hurtful ways so that we can move not only out of them, but toward you. Because Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, when you're with these people, you are always calling them to the love of God and the power of God that is found in that love because you're a forgiver and acceptor. And so, Lord, we want to come today. We just want to open our, the, our innermost being and say, Lord, search me and know me and let me become truth teller, truth beer, truth becomer. So not just here at church, but Lord, everywhere I go, people can say that's truth. That's right. Help us to live those lives. Lord, I thank you.
just as I get to be a kind of have a courtside seat to so many people. And they come and they share with me areas of their life that they're struggling in. And I asked them, have you told Jesus? Yeah, yeah, I've told Jesus. Now I just want to tell you and want to get some support here. Lord, help us to have that kind of heart, to live that kind of way. And so, Lord, we, we set ourselves to press in, to passionately pursue Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. So if you're here today and you have some of these issues, just say, Lord, I repent. I acknowledge them. I'm not going to try and manage it. I'm going to repent and change and speak, Lord, truth. Maybe you're here today and you've never made a commitment to Jesus. You've never entered into his kingdom, asked him to forgive you of your sins and that you want to follow him and become like him. You can do that today. If you're online, I encourage you to take a moment this morning and just say, click the hand and say, that's what I'm going to do. I choose Jesus today. And if you're here today in this room, say, here's the truth. I need to follow Jesus and I want to. And as I just close in prayer, uh, just pray something of, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I want to pursue you and your truth and your right ways for my life. So today, Lord, we close this time. And I just pray, Lord, over us as a congregation. We wouldn't tell the truth to be goody two-shoes. We would simply tell the truth because that's who you are and what you call us to. We would do it, Lord, because we want to make a mark on the people around us where people say, I can trust them and I can trust what they say. So today, Lord, we just simply come, humble ourselves before you and ask you to touch us in the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.